Aaron, when I say the word entrepreneur to you, what what pops up into your mind? Like, what's the image of an entrepreneur? Is there a prototypical, stereotypical person you can think of? Well, I think of someone very cool, maybe an older man, one of those eccentric, kind of very likable, you know, guys. Um, the billionaire best friend. Yeah, like Richard Branson or something oh, okay. like that. Right, right. I, I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. But then I also think of a guy or a girl that maybe just has like a lifestyle business where they kind of work for themselves and lifestyle business like Timothy Ferris. Right. Yeah. Somebody who writes about their musings and has a big enough audience where they'll pick up their next book or uh, attend a talk that they're giving. Right. Okay. Uh, who else are, do you think of when when I say that that person is an entrepreneur or who do you model yourself after? I like uh, the guy from The Prophet, Marcus Limonis. Oh, yeah. I love Marcus. He's so awesome. Yeah. So he's a little different. Yeah, okay. he is. Because he's kind of, I'd say, maybe in between those two, where I don't think he's like a billionaire that controls his own airline company. Yeah, and but, soda company and everything else. Yeah. He's kind of just more like a doctor of businesses and... Uh, he's got like a Wait, did social you say media doctor audience. of businesses? Not like that. I mean, like he helps businesses that need help like a doctor helps people he helps right. businesses no, I, I like that description yeah and he kind of made a following and a sort of tv show out of that so it's kind of like a mix between social media and helping people and and it, it's hard to explain really no I, I think that's about how i kind of would envision it as well is that most of the times when we talk about an entrepreneur there's there's like very masculine energy not necessarily a male but masculine energy because we know that there are CEO types. That makes it all kind of interesting because the person that we have on our show today, she's totally different. She's a creative person. She's very soft-spoken, and she has this really kind of positive energy beaming from her. It, it almost like radiates out from her. And here's the thing is, uh, you know, I've been teaching at Art Center now for mm, coming up on 15 years, and every time I would go there, everybody would say, you need to meet Yumna. You need to meet Yumna. She's doing something really incredible. And so I finally got a chance to meet her, and she lives up to her billing. So on today's episode of the future, we're going to sit down and talk to Yumna Shamsham. And she's a graphic designer by trade, but she's so much more than that. And we're going to tell this story in three parts, or three arcs, if you will. Um, part one, we're going to talk to her about her upbringing and growing up in a country where a car bomb is just a way of life, if you could imagine that. And then in part two, she's now a teenager having worked since she was three or four years old, growing up in a very entrepreneurial family, performing, being famous, and how she had to counteract that in a normal school where she didn't want to stand out. And lastly, in act three, how she became in a way, an accidental entrepreneur. And this goal of hers is to never have to work for anybody ever. And so far, she's doing a really good job. So you guys, you're going to want to stick around for this episode. So I was born in Beirut uh, in 1990, and this was when the war has stopped. There's still turmoil and violence. In 2006, there was another official war suicide bombers. You want life to be as normal as possible. To have car bombs go off 
a few kilometers from you, not even sometimes a few meters from you, and to know that a lot of people died and it could happen anytime, it's... I think that makes you focus on what you love and on your passion. So if there's a bomb and you have to come back home from school, if you have ballet class at five, you're still gonna go. You don't get lost, you, you just do. Yuna is a kind of a very rare kind of unicorn, if you will. She like walks on rainbows. She was a actor, performer, songwriter, singer, producer on a children's television show, which she still continues to do to this day. My household was a special one because my uncle was a singer, songwriter, producer, radio host at the time. He took imaginary friends that I had and, you know, like every kid does, I used to run around the dining room table singing songs and then he would take those melodies and turn them into real characters and words I didn't say correctly, like, uh, for example, the ducks, we say canard in French, I used to say nanar when I saw ducks at the beach and I used to run after them and this became a song and a character. And he created this entire universe and used to perform it in theaters around schools. And when the channel was opening, it became a TV show for kids. And we lived literally four blocks away from the studios, so there was no division between the house and and the cameras. Could you sing for us now? Like a little lullaby in whatever language you want to sing it in. Chris, you're Just give me a little bit. Despite protesting, Yumna finally agreed to sing a song for us. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> Pierrot doudou, Pierrot bisou, Pierrot je t'aime à la vie. Pierrot doudou. That was beautiful. All right. Okay. First of all, big points there for doing on the spot. Uh, throat is not warmed up. Morning, 11 a.m. Awesome. 11 a.m. Here we are. This is how we roll. Let's get into your teenage years. Yeah. What's your role now? First, you were like on screen dancing, maybe not even talking, but you're you're on set. First, now what? First time on set, and then you know we make some songs. We we did a little girls band. Then I turned uh, thirteen, and I started uh, screenwriting. So I wrote a few episodes, and then by the time I was fifteen, I wrote twenty episodes a month. Could you maybe like elaborate what was like a show like? It's the thing you watched before going to bed. Okay. Like it would always end, you know, time to go brush your teeth, mm. good night, lullaby. We had uh, multiple themes, one theme a month. So when we had the circus theme, the set would be a circus. And then we would sometimes bring in animals and we would bring in guests who would do a performance and we would have clowns and all that. On weekends, we had um, kids come in. So we had live audiences and we would do games, uh, sing happy birthday to whoever birthday <laughs> it was, uh, and then perform live songs. It's on MTV? Now it no. is, yeah. Oh, but back then it wasn't on MTV? No, it was always on MTV. Just for clarification, when she says MTV, it's not music television, the ones that we're used to, it's a local Lebanese version of MTV. I don't like using the word celebrity. People knew me. 
Okay. And people knew you in school, your classmates? Yeah. And so they were like, you're on TV all the time. I got recognized. They used to sing the songs behind my back when I walked <laughs> in the school in, hallways. In a loving admiration or in a mocking way? Both. Okay. So there's that. A little bit of that. Yeah. And did you feel ever, um, like, threatened? Yeah, I, I, I don't really talk about this, but I, I think by the time I was 16, 17, I really wanted to be invisible in school. I, I gave up leadership positions that I would naturally want to take and that I took. And then, like, the more I can stay out of trouble, the more I can not take things away from people, the better. I guess I annoyed people because I, I was also very good. I, I was all I was also top of my class. I so you're a good student. I don't know how. Uh, you're writing, producing. You're a star on TV. You're making money. Yeah, at seventeen, <laughs> I you're, people want to hate on you. It's a thing. Yeah, and you don't want to give them more reasons to hate on you. I no, I right. don't want to. So <laughs> I was top of my class, and that became a problem. So I stopped. I purposefully got lower grades. When when I'm creating, when I'm in my zone, when I'm on stage or with the camera, it's, you know, we have our crew, 40, 50 people, we see each other all the time. Mm -hmm. It's very protected. And then when you see the audience, the fans, it's also very loving. Mm. But when you're in an environment that's like school, it, it gets, it can get hurtful. How does this affect your dating life? Uh, when I was young? Yeah, when you were young. Like, uh, were you interested in boys at 15? Yeah, but okay. never never affected it in a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> the boys were not in school. Because I went to a Catholic school oh, for girls. Is, oh, with okay. like five boys in the classroom. It They didn't have... To, they didn't used to have boys, but then during the war, they kind of mended the rules a little bit. So boys don't really apply to that school, but it's like six, but you can get five to six boys in the classroom. And those were not the boys we were interested in. So Why not? Because we saw them all day. And it was like, and there was like <laughs> Wait, five on. boys, five boys for 25 girls. And that's a pretty good ratio of your guys. The cool, the cool. The cool boys are not in that school. They're rule breakers. They didn't go to the Catholic <laughs> school. To the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it that girls always go after the bad boys? The good Catholic boys, they get no love. No. They just get no love. No. That's been the story of my life, Aaron. I don't do bad boys. I do good boys. It's just... What compelled you to go to Art Center? Like, why leave this where you're, you're doing really well in life already? Why, why walk away from this and what, do you, what, what motivated you to go to Art Center? I never felt achieved. I still don't. I was just pursuing curiosity. I didn't want to do anything related to television or, you know, th that field. And I, there were so many things I wanted to do. Um, I loved theme parks. I was obsessed with Disney the design, Imagineers. I wanted to be an Imagineer. Like, how do I become an Imagineer? God, you must have felt like so odd in a, in a place where, where people just want to focus on topography and build beautiful posters or books and are thinking about their life after as 
someone who's gonna go get a job, and right? Yes. And you were totally somewhere else. During Art Center, During what, Art Center. what encouraged me to discover that whole entrepreneurial creative scene of people like you in you know California and New York was Behance. So as a student, that you know woke me up, and that oh there's startups, oh there's there's a system when you have an idea to make it happen, there are ways you can do it. Oh there are other designers working on one product that is service to millions of people and they're doing this full time, they're not interviewing for a job, they're not doing multiple consulting client It's not a service pieces. they provide for others. Yeah, and they have this idea and they wanna and they want to do it. And that's how I think of my projects as a, as a service. Okay. Even even the kids show, we all it's it's a joy bringing mechanism. Right. So I'm hoping that while talking to students about what I did with Live Love and you know with Mini Studio I'm hoping to put them into the mindset of what do you want to offer the world and trying to format it in a simple enough way that you can prototype it today that the internet is in your pocket that you can reach out and find like-minded people around you if you express what you feel it seemed like you saw the light. You saw like there was opportunity and you found your way again. Yeah. So how, do, how does this whole Behance thing happen? The Center for Student Experience. That's a newsletter they send out, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. With the application for, for Behance, it was end of summer term. What, what term were you? Three. <laughs> Third term? Wow, okay. I'm laughing because there are eight terms, so she is the equivalent of a first-year sophomore, and she's already looking to like bust open. Right? You know why? Because term two, I was so angry. I was so angry after term two. What were you angry about? It's like, I want to do things for the internet. I don't want to design a cube. There was this class where they made us do this cube. The Nature with- Materials? I had to make a cube about a song that Woody Guthrie wrote in black and white, all collage, and and I, I cut my fingers out trying to get the foam, you know, and the cube right, and I was like, I'm not serving humanity by doing this cube. <laughs> I couldn't what do you mean? Sleep. This not, black and white collage I'm, is not going to save humanity? I'm being useless to the world. <laughs> I was so angry when this class, I, so angry, and then... I wrote this thing the end of term two that I only want to do stuff for the internet and I had one amazing class with Lamer Walker that was interactive one so the first web class and I learned how to code alone and I was like this guy has big picture he's not he's not the perfect renderer but he's got it it clicks and he got what I wanted and I got on Adobe's alpha release of the digital publishing suite so I could do iPad magazines. I, I loved the web. I, I found myself in the web. And then they sent out this Behance thing and I'm like, oh, what, what's Behance? And I, and I see their site and I read uh, Scott Belsky's The Founder um, Making Ideas Happen, his book. Um, and I see that you know they have 50 million visitors on their homepage and all those designers and 
their mission is to empower the creative world. And I love the idea of a mission. I'm like, wow, people have missions. <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> That's when I really got into the web and entrepreneurs. And I found myself digitally in Oh, that. you found your group. You found your tribe. This is super cool. Yumna left Beirut to come to Santa Monica, then to go to school in Pasadena. She's traveling the world and she hasn't found her tribe, people who think like her. They see the future and they want to serve society and they're doing it through software. And they're not, not to say that they, they wield power, but what they're doing has, has power in, in, in the act that they do. I've been looking for you as a student yeah. And I didn't really find you. I couldn't get in your class. Just like you're looking I tried. For, for your version of you so that you can encourage them. That one person who's going to look at you and say, you know what? I want to serve society. I don't want to be an order taker. I don't want to just make pretty things and boxes and widgets and things like that. I want to, I want to do something to kind of leave a mark. Mm-hmm. Make the world a little bit better than where I found it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's going to take us to now... Live Love Beirut. Sure. I want you to talk about what is that? What is Live Love Beirut? When I when I left to come back that summer, they were closing all the streets to the airport. There were riots and burning wheels, and it was the worst touristic summers. And because of Syria and everything that's going on, there's travel bans on people to come visit Lebanon. So it's it was the worst touristic summer since 1946. I learned that after the fact. My goal was not to enhance tourism. Uh, my goal was to express myself, but it, it ended up in a, a boosting tourism. But um, So my uncle had a friend. She came back from Brazil, and she had this beautiful wish bracelet. And there's this whole tale around Brazil, Brazilian wish bracelets uh, called uh, Bonne Femme de Boniface in French. And you put the bracelet on, you make three knots, and you make a wish. And then when you go visit uh, Brazil, you tie, it, you tie it up to a fence there, and all millions of people do it. So when you see people coming back from Brazil with those bracelets, that's what they are. So my uncle saw that, and then we were sitting and talking, and, and he said, well, we should do one for Lebanon uh, and, and call it Live Love Lebanon. Uh, so we had that idea, and then Eddie, one of my uh, best friends, who was my climbing coach when I was a kid. He comes with the bracelets and he finds a factory and does the first batch of 3,000 bracelets with $150. What's written on the bracelets? Sim- oh, so he sends, me, he sends me Live Love Lebanon in Comic Sans on red. <laughs> and I'm here in Venice. I'm back here in Venice. And I go crazy. Right, of course. I every, go crazy. Every self-respecting designer goes crazy. <laughs> I... Ten seconds later, I change it, and I think live. I thought live love Beirut, live love Beirut had more symphony to it than live love Lebanon. Just the way the word sounded. Yeah, and Beirut is is it's 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 not a national thing at all. But Beirut is so poetic to me, uh, you know, in songs as a word. So called it live love Beirut instead. Changed the font, the color, sent it back did the bracelets and then he was running around the streets giving them to people coming up with stories as we go like completely improvising he was you know seeing what picks up what doesn't uh oh what i was doing is i was in the streets trying to shoot people telling asking them why do you love beirut 
and I was doing it all myself and then it didn't make sense and Instagram at the time was just coming up and also sitting talking with friends uh, a very uh, very cool director called Amin Dora there said we were following each other on Instagram at the time each person had like 20 followers so he's like why don't why don't you do live love Beirut on Instagram I'm like whoa that makes sense so started the Instagram did a hashtag and the bracelet was just something we gave it was our marketing power really we gave it to the cool kids and people were seeing it on them and you know on the kid show people they wore it they're called influencers that's the marketing term yeah (laughs) you gave it to the cool kids are you an influencer i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but you gave it to people and that helped to spread spread the word and then the hashtag was the principle behind the hashtag was that people had to find beauty capture it and share it on the hashtag the hashtag was live love oh i see i see and every day uh, i chose two to three of the most beautiful images and reposted them on, on Live Love Beirut, oh, okay. yes, on the Instagram and the Facebook page. It connected me to the Lebanon of my memories and the one of my childhood, which is the Lebanon of life. And when my mom sees those photos, she smiles. And when the people, everyone there looks at this, it's the 1% of oxygen that you can get. Even, you know, everything is hard, everything is tough. But hey, there's beauty in those moments. And we're all sharing that one it's feel good it's feel good images that's what we wanted to express and it worked six months later we had a million cumulative likes on the photos wow yeah and i was here you know before going to class while in class i was obsessed all i was doing was this um picking out the moments to share what people sent people. me and yeah. it was beautiful because I'd wake up in the morning if there was rainbow I'd get a hundred rainbow images from all different angles there was one day wow. where late, uh, ladybugs beetles were infecting the city they were everywhere everyone sent me photos of little la- ladybugs and it, and then orange season I got multiple oranges so I, I got to see I was zooming out and I could perceive patterns and then we started playing with them like we'd say okay today the most beautiful photo of a vintage car in the street will win five bracelets and people ran to get you know beautiful vintage car photos today the first person who gets to the highest mountain peak wins a bracelet and people you know on Saturday and they would take a picture of themselves at the top of the yeah yeah and and we didn't really place it in any store we only sold it where we were present in festivals um so so you made them uh, objects to covet because they weren't so easy to get they wanted them badly yeah yeah you're controlling supply yeah nice. yeah and they and they knew we were figuring it out as we went along and that they were part of that mm they were defining it with us. If not, they were entirely defining it. We were just observing. That's incredible. So there's some sophisticated business principles that you're talking about here. Are there? Yeah, there are. You're talking about uh, building a movement. You, you express your why. And I love that you said that there's this 1% of oxygen. And Aaron's heard me say this before. And for people who have tuned in, if this is your first episode, we talk about this, is that in life, there are a lot of challenges, barriers, sad things, things that are going to knock you down. People are going to be critical of you. And it could be you that's critical of you. 
And I say instead of looking for the 99 ways for it to fail, look for the one reason why you should do it. Instead of focusing on what you have to lose, focus on what you have to gain. And that's just me speaking very broadly, mm-hmm. but applied to your life in very real ways in Beirut. A lot of horrible things that could get you down. A sad way of life, right? And you're like, let's just focus on the beauty. Let's cherish what life we have because we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that, that you wake up and all you see are rainbows or um, ladybugs or whatever else that you're seeing. And it, it, it connects you to your mom. It connects you to your childhood. And, and it resonated with people instantly. And it, it became a movement. And you're controlling. Uh, this is a very sophisticated. I, I know it's not this, but I'm just saying looking from the outside in a kind of very objective way. It's a very sophisticated movement you built with a marketing mechanism with the whole supply chain thing it's like it's quite interesting it's all organic and you're making up the rules as you go because you don't know it could have just been the summer thing and be done yeah but it just grew and it kept growing and so now let's get to today i mean what is the business like for you i mean how because i know there's some amazing things that you're doing uh first now you can buy the bracelets right yeah you can buy them online and how much do they cost what do you pay for them ten dollars ten dollars and you smiled a little bit they used to be five. Well, they used to be free. They used to be free. And then you gave a little, then you can only buy them very exclusively. And then, then five and now $10. Yeah. And what do you do with the money that you collect? Uh, parts, of course, to run operations. And then the other part we use to fund local projects that people submit on our site. So if there's a, a local project, like a cleanup project or a, yeah, some kind of charity, right? Some, some mm, Yeah, not necessarily. It's, not necessarily NGOs, but activities. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a very critical moment in time for us when someone sent a photo of a dirty beach mm. um, and we did not want to post negative images. But when I saw that, I remember before going to Brad's class vividly, it was it was a Thursday morning, um, and I saw that and I... I asked Eddie, what do we do? Do we ignore it? Do we post it? And then we posted it and wrote under it, um, hey guys, this is the situation. We know we don't post negative images, but we want to try to do something about this. Do you want to come clean it with us next Saturday? If you're up to it, just put your email down and we'll all go together. And we had 185 volunteers signed up within the hour. So on Saturday, Eddie organized the whole thing, and everyone went and cleaned the river. And this became... This is here? No, no, in Beirut. Oh, but I thought you were here. I was here. You organized it from across the world. Everything was... Through your iPhone. Through my phone. That's lovely. And so they showed up, you organized this thing, and they cleaned it up. Yeah. Eddie was there. I was here. Yeah. That's so cool. And so I, I just want to be clear about this. So when there's an activity that is worthwhile that you think is about celebrating life, um, you organize a certain... We call upon volunteers. Yeah, we call use, upon volunteers. We use the followers we have to mobilize people. Mm-hmm. And do you also then contribute financially? Based? Of course, yeah. Okay, we so fun- you didn't talk about that, so... Yeah, we, fu- how, how we, f- we fund the whole, the whole thing. Uh-huh. Through the sales of the bracelets? Through the sales of bracelets. Excellent. Now... Live Love Beirut has grown to be way more than this. Yeah, now I mean now we do tours. We do we take people around different villages, like live like a tourist in your own country kind of thing. Um, Live Love grew 
in other countries. We started having people imitating us, uh, young people in Egypt first, uh, and then called them up, said, hey guys, first of all, we copyrighted Live Love Everywhere. Uh, so we didn't threaten at all. We were very friendly and are like, because they're just like us. So we identify with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sent them the logo and we sent them the Bible and the guidelines of how to run your Live Love campaign. We sent them bracelets. Um, and now they run Live Love Egypt. And it's in 36 other countries now. So we have Live Love Armenia that's growing like crazy. Uh, Syria, Venezuela, and more mainstream cities like Paris, uh, LA that I started officially. Uh, I have one of the bracelets. Last week. Yeah. Um, so it's picking up. Mm. Live Love the World that curates all of the Live Loves around the world. So is this a franchise model or is this a kind of you giving the source code away? What, what, how does this work? We don't, we just give the guidelines. There's no, there are media channels. There's no source code. There's no I know, software. it's just I'm using like a yeah, Silicon yeah. Valley sorry, speak. Sorry, sorry. Um, it's just a brand, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the how-to. Do they, do, do each, does each country contribute a certain amount of money back to the global organization? So far, not. The money is staying local, but we are working on refining that. I think we have a long way to go to sharpen the model of globally how it's going to work. Now, you've been out of school for three years? Yeah, 2013 December. Right. So three years this summer, and you've never worked for anybody else, right? Or have you? No, I have. Oh, you have. I shouldn't say never. It's like, but now you, you basically never. work for yourself. Now, yeah. Right? You, you, I have one client that I absolutely love mm-hmm. and like to keep her close because she's someone I learned from mm-hmm. endlessly. But that's it. Okay. So, but that's that's a, um, it's a, it's not a necessity. It's because that's what you want to do. I, I love, right? yeah. I love having her. I, I, I do digital consulting for her. So, okay. It's, I love doing it and I love, she's a, she's very famous. It's, uh, fashion designer in New York. So now you're talking about something new. Yeah. What are you doing now? I'm asking myself the question, what would Mini Studio, the show I grew up on, be in the age of the internet? And that's what all my thinking and doing is going towards. So that sounds to me like same concept, but if you design it for today, what would it look like? What would it be? How would it talk, behave? Where would it be? Yes. Who's the audience? What do What's kids the need platform? to see? Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's your next big thing. Yeah. I love it. So where can people find out a little bit more about the different things that you're doing? Can you give them either the instagram hashtag or or whatever how do people get in touch with the movement or anything that you're doing so live love is live love beirut on instagram twitter facebook and live love the world uh underscore on instagram you can follow us there Uh, live love los angeles.com to sign us to sign up for the los angeles newsletter we're trying to bring out the essence in la trying to talk about See, every city has different needs. LA doesn't have the same need as Beirut. It's not a rebranding deal. Uh, it's not about making it prettier 
or the one percent of oxygen oxygen to me la is about finding the essence because everything is hidden so i'm doing a weekly newsletter where i talk about wonderful people or things i find here mm. uh so yeah liveofla.com and um for my personal instagram and twitter it's at c yumna just my name can you spell that y-o-u-m as in mary and a as in apple well i want to thank you for spending <laughs> a good portion of your time with us and thank you your so story. much for having me i was i was surprised and happy you asked <laughs> <laughs> so here we are thank you for tuning in to this episode of the future theme song was composed by Adam Sanborn and edited by my trusty sidekick and friend Aaron Zakelli. I'm the show's producer. Please check out our store at thefutureishere.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a review. It would really help us out.